Hina. We are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. For the final episode of 2021, it is episode 251 of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, Getting Over is back once again. We're here to break down AEW and NXT for the final time in 2021. We are coming off uh, and continuing, I should say, a loaded week here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast, a four-show week. We already have our WWE Day 1 Ultimate Preview in the books. We published that on Tuesday. On Wednesday, we gave you the second annual Getting Over Awards, the 2021 Meaties, where we honored the best and brightest in professional wrestling. This is episode 251. We're here to talk AEW and NXT. And then on Saturday, as soon as WWE Day 1 goes off the air, we will be back with an instant analysis podcast. So there's a ton of professional wrestling audio provided to you by getting over this week. I hope you all are enjoying episode by episode. Because it is almost New Year's Eve, the Silver King has a lot of big plans, both work and personal, over the next couple of days. We're going to get right to it on today's episode and remind you off the top, of course, that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast is so please, folks, stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King Adam Silverstein, the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Sometimes, uh, frequently, Vintage Chris Vanini, our co-host, head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Please leave a five-star rating. Let people know how much you love this show. At last check, we were somewhere around 73, 78 uh, five-star reviews on Spotify. That's fantastic. We badly want to get to 100 reviews. It puts us in a bunch of categories, helps people notice us. I just checked we're at 81 reviews, so we're close. There's only 19 of you listening to us on Spotify who have not yet reviewed. That can, If you do it right now, it takes five seconds. You will get us to that number. So please head over to Spotify, click that five-star. As always, I would greatly appreciate it. Like I said, I want to be expeditious with today's show. Uh, so we're going to talk AEW, then we're going to talk NXT. As always, our timestamps are in our episode descriptions. So if you only watch one show or the other, you're able to rewind, fast forward, whatever the hell, uh, and listen to exactly what you want to listen to. But of course, I always hope uh, you listen to the entire show. For AEW, we will be breaking down the first of the two-part New Year's Smash special show. The first part, of course, was on Dynamite. The next part is going to be I believe they're airing it on Friday, uh, Rampage, this week, and there's some pretty good matches that look to be set up for that. We will also be reviewing AEW Rampage from last week, which was the Holiday Bash or whatever the hell they called that. And then on the second half of today's show, we're going to break down this week in NXT and provide you with a full preview for NXT New Year's Evil, a card that didn't look like much a week ago, and suddenly, as far as I'm concerned, is a can't-miss card, uh, New Year's Evil was among our TV specials of the year in the meaties. It was a finalist. Uh, so the fact that they seem to be putting on a pretty damn good card to start 2022 makes you feel pretty good about NXT. But as I said, let's start with AEW New Year Smash. I'm mostly going to talk about Dynamite on top here, and then we'll kind of you know wrap up what happened on Rampage a little bit afterward. Uh, the main event was Adam Cole, Kyle O'Reilly, and Bobby Fish against Best Friends. Uh, Cole said backstage earlier that they would be the best five-man group ever, with the Young Bucks being the other two. Matt Jackson had problems with the setup of the whole thing. Kyle O'Reilly got in his face. 
Then talked to Cole alone. He said, hey, look, I know we have heat, but we're in AEW now. Factions rule here, and we need to get on the same page. So that was earlier in the show. The match was the main event. There was some great tag team wrestling by Red Dragon throughout. Chuck saved a pin after a high-low on Orange Cassidy. Trent speared Cole on the ramp, then Orange did a diving DDT for a near fall. Chuck and Trent hit two pile drivers on Cole, then Orange hit beach break for a near fall. The fall was broken. O'Reilly accidentally kicked Cole off the ring apron. Brandon Cutler ran down to distract. The Young Bucks hit two super kicks, and then O'Reilly pinned Chuck for the finish. The match, yes, it was exciting. The action's always good. It was totally chaotic. It was really a means to an end to tell the story of Cole and the other four guys, which we'll get to in a moment. Uh, when Cole basically stood with the Bucks after the bell, and he was like, did O'Reilly really kick me? Why did he do that? Kyle, why did you do that? This was all off mic, but you could pretty much tell what they were trying to say. Uh, my biggest takeaway, honestly, it wasn't even storyline. It wasn't even the match quality or anything like that. It was just pretty crazy that the final dynamite of the TNT era ended with Undisputed Era in the main event. And only one of the three of them were actually released by WWE. It's not that it's a major surprise because all three of them make complete sense to be in AEW. Obviously, Adam Cole going there was not a shocker. And certainly Kyle O'Reilly is a better fit as a single star or with Cole and, and Fish there than he would have been as a singles guy in WWE. But it is just so strange when you like think back and you consider how we actually got to this point. As far as the storyline with Cole, O'Reilly, Fish, and then the Bucks, it's extremely interesting. Uh, Cole being pulled in two different directions. You wonder, is the resolution going to come when Kenny Omega comes back? Are they going to form a six-man supergroup? Is it going to be Omega versus Cole for the control of the other four guys? There's a lot of different ways that this can transpire, and it does seem to be a pretty big storyline entering 22. So ultimately, it was a successful main event, uh, but the match wasn't as good as I thought it would be. I mean, it was it was a lot of spots, but it was just a mess. You know, it was very chaotic, like a lot of AEW multi-man matches are, and, and this was another example of that. Uh, MJF cut a promo about the bidding war of 2024, which makes me feel really like the report that WWE had interest in him, even though his contract is like three years from expiring or two plus years from expiring. It makes me feel that story was planted to like further advance a TV storyline. Are they really going to like try and make a story out of this with MJF for the next two and a half years? I don't know. Uh, MJF said CM Punk is a distraction for his pursuit of the AEW world title. He then told Wardlow he wanted him to earn a title shot and maybe even win the title so he could then relinquish it to MJF, reminding Wardlow that all of that is detailed in his contract. MJF also said he wants to level himself up to get into the title picture. Uh, you know, I thought it was a pretty damn good backstage segment. It does feel like the actual match with Punk is going to be held off until the next pay-per-view, which I believe is Revolution. And they're kind of just wrapping up it for now and getting to a second storyline. We'll talk more about that momentarily. In between, Wardlow fought Colin Delaney in a singles match. Wardlow hit a few power bombs, got the win. Then Sean Spears delivered his chair shot as per usual. I hadn't even heard Delaney's name since like, I don't know, 2008 or 2009. So it was super random that this guy was on AEW TV and in this match. Later in the show, near the main event, like towards the end of the second hour, CM Punk showed up. He gave a shout out to Jim Ross for being cancer free and back at work. Obviously great news. Great to hear JR uh, back on TV. And it's great that his um, skin cancer, I believe it was on his like foot or ankle or something that they cleared that up. Fantastic stuff. Uh, Punk said that watching the Brody Lee tribute show made him want to come to AEW. Punk then said he scared MJF away last week. 
and that MJF was a bigger con waste of money than Tim Tebow, which I guess was a good line because it was in Jacksonville, but the line should have been about Urban Meyer. So I, I, he just picked the wrong person, or maybe Tony wouldn't let him say Urban Meyer because that was more of an embarrassing situation for them. But that should have been the line, Urban Meyer. Uh, so then Punk guessed that he and MJF won't be fighting soon, but he said it would be a shame if someone interfered with his title quest. And I gotta say, this was another really weak promo from Punk. Like, the line about Tebow hit because it was in Jacksonville. But other than that, it just kind of was dead as far as I was concerned. And I have to believe the reason they are hitting pause on this feud is to save it for revolution with Punk maybe costing MJF a title opportunity, maybe that being the second catalyst to make the match happen. Or maybe they're just stopping it completely and for reasons we don't know, because booking had to change for one reason or another. It just seemed unnecessary to me, and I mentioned it on this podcast, for them to start the feud as early as they did, knowing another pay-per-view was pretty far off. And on top of that, that they weren't going to put this match as a featured match on one of these special shows. So once they got through the Christmas and the New Year shows, and you're not getting Punk and MJF one-on-one, you're like, oh, so what are we going to do? Wait like two months until we are able to book this match. It seems like that's what they're going to be doing. Uh, the TBS uh, semifinal tournament. Let me try, try that again. The TBS tournament semifinal match uh, between Jade Cargill and Thunder Rosa was held in the second hour. They wrestled outside the ring for like five minutes, constantly breaking the count. Cargill sold the knee. Rosa had a botch off the ropes and then ate a huge pump kick from Cargill. Jade escaped to figure four and booted Rosa into the turnbuckles to escape another one. As Mark Sterling distracted the referee, a masked woman smacked Rosa upside the head and Cargill hit Jaded for the win. Rosa attacked Jade after the bell when the masked woman, who had disappeared for like two minutes between her initial attack and the finish of the match, just came back to ringside to beat her down. And of course, it was revealed to be Mercedes Martinez. The crowd kind of went like mild as they both beat down Rosa. Ruby Soho made a save with a pipe or something. Post-match attack, check. Run in without a fight, check. It's a bit strange that a powerhouse like Jade is here needing to hire muscle to beat Thunder Rosa, but, you know, giving Rosa an excused loss in a tournament like this, it does ultimately make sense. Let's see how they book Cargill to get past Soho next week, because I assume Jade is going to be the one to win the TBS title. Maybe it's something similar with Mercedes, then Mercedes and uh, Ruby Soho can feud, that would make sense. We'll see what happens next week. Overall, though, this match was, it was fine. Nothing wrong with it. Uh, Jurassic Express, Christian Cage, and Lucha Bros fought FTR and the HFO to open the show. It was basically my nightmare AEW match, but at least like Rick Knox wasn't refereeing it. Pentagon tagged himself in after Luchasaurus chokeslammed Dax Harwood. Cameras hardly caught or turned Neo by Ray Phoenix and a big tope by Jungle Boy. Penta went for Fear Factor when Christian tagged himself in this time. They argued Christian ate the big rig from FTR and the heels won. So they pinned Christian who just a couple months ago was tagging, or not tagging, challenging for the AEW World Championship. Uh, they argued uh, Christian got so angry later backstage that he issued a tag team title challenge on behalf of Jurassic Express because those guys can't speak for themselves. Next week on Dynamite, uh, Pentagon and Ray Phoenix eventually accepted, and they said that Christian is dragging down Jurassic Express. The late high-risk moves in the match made it exciting, but man, you guys know like the 10 mans, the eight mans in AEW. For me, it's just, it's just not my bag. I I just got to be honest. The entire thing felt like a waste of time. We knew what the booking was going to be for the tag team title match. So they just, it felt like they had to shoehorn this in 
to create some type of animosity between a couple teams where you don't always need to have animosity. Like they're clearly the number one contenders. They've told us that three or four weeks in a row. Just book the match. Uh, On Rampage, Jungle Boy fought Isaiah Cassidy. It was an entertaining match that broke down with a bunch of attacks outside the ring. And Jungle Boy won with the snare trap. I don't really have any take on that. Going back to Dynamite New Year's Smash, we had Eddie Kingston, Santana, and Ortiz against 2.0 and Daniel Garcia. Santana and Ortiz hit some big double teams, and then eventually Santana got rolled up with a handful of tights for the heels uh, to get the victory. Garcia then took like an hour before using the timekeeper's bell against Santana. After then a delay that came after that, Chris Jericho ran in to clear the ring. Kingston yelled for the music to be stopped. And then he argued with Jericho because he didn't want his help. So just like I said earlier, post-match attack, check. Run in without a fight, check. Add to that an annoying finish as part of a really mediocre storyline. And you just had something that I got to say, despite me really, really liking Kingston and Jericho, I just didn't really care much about it. Kingston was angry because Jericho saved members of his own faction. Why would he not do that? Uh, I I think the whole deal just kind of sucks, especially if the result is 2.0 getting away with the whole thing and Jericho and Kingston beginning a feud, almost like they're the catalyst, but they never get their just due when they're annoying heels who should easily be beaten. Like they, they, they have no consequence to AEW storylines right now, yet they're the ones getting over on, on top of these guys and creating some animosity. So maybe that's their point that they're trying to use them as a catalyst, but like, I don't know, just the whole thing didn't particularly work for me. Uh, it was surprising. I, you know, I've been very bullish on AEW recently and some of the Dynamite bookings. I found this New Year's Smash show, I found a lot of things just I, I did not like. Um, and it was really mostly the multi-man matches because everything else was decently solid. Uh, so we had Brian Pillman Jr. who came out. He said Malachi Black cheap shot at him last week. He promised to show a new side of himself when they fight next week. Pretty good promo from Pillman. The lights went out. Black appeared on stage in his whole getup. He pointed at Pillman. The lights went out. And the idea was he was going to disappear. And then the lights would come back on. Instead, the lights came on like too early and from an angle. And you could see Black walking out through the tunnel, which that's kind of a head shaker. And and it was one of a couple moments where AEW cameramen really screwed up on Wednesday night. They missed some spots in the Lucha Bros match that I just talked about earlier. There were a couple other occasions where they were a little bit off. So I, I know that Daly's Place is a more difficult venue to film from than some others. But man, if you're putting on a premium product like this, you've got to be tired than they were. Uh, There is one more thing to talk about from Dynamite, but it had to do with what happened on Rampage. So let's move into Rampage. We'll tie in Dynamite and then we'll wrap this up. On Rampage, we had a TNT championship match, Sammy Guevara defending against Cody Rhodes. Cody got frustrated early. He went into the crowd to calm down. And I just don't understand why AEW wrestlers, this is two weeks in a row, are going into the crowd as a pandemic is like raging. It's spiking right now. I mean, the pandemic never stopped, but... It's going nuts now, and they're just going into the crowd and mingling with people. How about not? Like, maybe don't do that right now. Just stay around ringside. It's not that big of a deal. You could have done the same thing walking up the ramp, taking a breath, and then come back into the ring. Anyway, uh, Sammy hit a double springboard cutter for a near fall, then hit Cody with his own crossroads. Guevara then did a springboard 450 outside. Cody caught him flying and threw him into some plants that were in the crowd. Another instance of them going into the crowd. Cody hit a disaster kick and got booted then hit crossroads for a 2.7 count. Sammy caught Cody flying and hit him with the GTH for a 2.8 count and a really good false finish that if I had my druthers, if I was the one booking, that would have been the end of the match. Instead, 
the crowd was kind of quiet outside of Sammy's flashy spots. And then randomly it did a very brief, this is awesome chant. Uh, Guevara went for his 630 cent on, gave Cody double birds before jumping, but Cody got his knees up, hit two crossroads and a Tiger Driver 98 to win the TNT championship for the third time. He then got like a Cena-esque mixed reaction, but it didn't seem like it was passionate cheers or passionate booze, just a smattering of both. So it was kind of muted a little bit. And look, AEW to this point has not exactly proven itself to be obtuse from a booking standpoint. So I almost want to give Tony Khan the benefit of the doubt here. For example, if this is meant to be part of a legitimate heel turn or character change for Cody or something that has storyline ramifications, then I can stomach them changing the title and doing this. But if it's not, and it's just giving Cody the win in Greensboro in front of the Crockett's for reasons, then it's absolutely mind-numbing. There was a short period of time before AEW began where I really started to buy into Cody. And I was like, man, I was wrong about this guy. Like, he's a better wrestler than I thought. He's more entertaining than I thought. But I don't know how much forced, frequently awful booking they're going to give this guy and accept, expect me to like it. Like the QT Marshall stuff, the Anthony Agogo stuff, some of the promos that he's cut that were completely eye-rolling. Now he's beating Sammy for the title when the guy held it for less than three months. It's like, at some point, you know, fans are going to turn even if you don't want them to. And it's 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 legitimately starting. You have to ask yourself, is it because fans are kind of like going into business for themselves and they're, and they're trying to turn it into reality? Um, is it the direction AEW wants the fans to go? I don't think it is. I really don't. I think they want Cody to be a babyface and fans are rejecting it for very good reason. And then you go on Dynamite and you have Sammy Guevara fresh after losing the TNT title. Does he get to cut a promo? No. Does he get to say he wants a rematch or he's unsatisfied or he's going to focus on the world championship? No. He's back to doing his cue card shtick between commercial breaks. And I mean, that's not good, you know? So the whole booking and decision, I was ready to kind of give them the benefit of the doubt. And then let's talk about what actually happened on Dynamite, which was Dan Lambert and men of the year in the ring, insulting Cody and Arn Anderson, saying Brandy was a stripper's name. Lambert, he did insult Cody's tattoos. That got cheers because we all know it is absolutely positively awful, that tattoo. Brandy then came out to a bunch of booze. She called Lambert a less talented Paul Heyman. And honestly, even putting them in the same sentence is absurd. Like they are nothing like each other and Lambert couldn't lick Heyman's boot. Uh, Lambert made a comment, I, I prefer Jim Cornette, which would irk the AEW fans who uh, Cornette criticizes constantly. But the whole thing was just, it was mind numbing to me. Completely forced reference by Brandy. Brandy then said she'd whoop his ass for free. Lambert said everyone hates her and he wouldn't actually mind fighting her because he's a black belt. So she called herself a black bitch. Then Dustin Rhodes came in and ate one shot from behind that he sold like death. And it was later announced that Ethan Page will get a TNT title shot next week. So ultimately the heels got exactly what they wanted. I just need to know at this point, who the hell is entertained by this? Like scripted promos that we obviously hate when WWE does it, but somehow it's okay when AEW does it every week with Lambert's completely scripted promos 
Brandy, if it wasn't scripted, it was written out and pre-planned by her and like, because she had to hit certain lines. Lambert is being forced down my throat, at least as a fan. You guys may like it. I, I don't. I don't think the heat, even though it is genuine heat, I don't necessarily think it's something that needs to be on their programming, taking up time when you have Ethan Page, who can cut promos with the best of them, who's sitting right there, able to talk for himself, yet you have to shoehorn Dan Lambert in there. Now Brandy's involved. Cody doesn't come out to save his wife in a situation like that. You know he's backstage because he's doing production with Tony Khan. He always has the headset on, but Cody can't be bothered to come out. It just seems like AEW is booking this opposite Cody because they want to make sure he gets face cheers, which flies against the benefit of the doubt. I said a moment ago, I wanted to give Tony Khan. As far as I'm concerned, just straight up, this is terrible. Not to mention the whore stripper bitch stuff that was throughout that entire segment. They just did a feud with insults like that with Chris Jericho saying them to Paige Van Zant. not to mention all the other references. And here we are again, right back at it. It's low hanging fruit. I gotta say, I just thought it was awful. Zero point zero. Couple more things here with AEW. On Rampage, Miro cut another promo at God. He was standing in that white void saying when he returns, it will be without flaws. I really, really like the aesthetic of these. It's almost as if we're getting a glimpse of Miro's internal dialogue with himself, but we're somehow able to see it as the viewing audience. It's really cool that way. But that said, the guy also hasn't been on TV in seven weeks. And before then, he had been off TV for like five weeks before he came back and made that brief appearance. So he's made two total TV appearances in three months. I think this is his second like white void uh, promo. And my assumption is he's recovering from an injury. And he just filled in for John Moxley in that situation because they really needed someone of his level to kind of be in that spot. But even so, if you don't have a return date for him for TV, let's say, I would maybe hold off the promos and do them in the three or four weeks immediately preceding his return, not spread out over a month and only having done two of them. And they're all repetitive too. They all basically say the same thing. So I don't know. I was happy to see Miro. I really like the general theory, the idea of these promos are pretty cool. On Rampage, we had Hook versus Bear Bronson. Hook completely and purposely no-sold the sit-down pile driver. He had a Northern Light suplex and a side headlock suplex before winning with Red Rum. Tony Nese watched from the crowd. I just thought it was another really impressive performance from the young guy. Also on Rampage, we had Chris Statlander versus Layla Hirsch. Statlander hit some really good power moves. Hirsch came back with a moonsault cover and a running knee for a couple near falls. Statlander got a blue thunderbomb for another near fall and then hit a reverse body slam and spider crab submission for the win. Layla refused to shake her hand after the bell. This was an exceptionally good match. A little clunky in spots. I went 3.5 stars and a B. I was thoroughly entertained. It was either the best or second best match that AEW gave us over the course of the week, with the other one being the main event on Dynamite with basically Undisputed Era. Uh, But this was super fun, and I thought both of them did great work. And the only other note for AEW before we move on is next week is going to be that very first Dynamite on TBS, so make sure you set your DVRs accordingly. But it's the go-home show for that, and there's a huge match on that show. Hangman Adam Page against Brian Danielson, the rematch for the AEW World Championship. They did talk about it during the show, but neither Page nor Danielson appeared live. They didn't do taped promos. They didn't do anything ahead of the rematch next week. I just find that to be 
totally nonsensical. And I'm going to give the exact same criticism in a moment to NXT because they did exactly the same thing ahead of New Year's Evil next week. So I just don't understand the mentality of doing that. As far as next week's show, I'm not going to go through the whole card, but with the main event, Hangman Page against Danielson, I mean, I just can't imagine a scenario in which Page is dropping the title to Danielson after just winning it at full gear. Like, you have to assume Hangman is going to win and retain the title. Maybe Brian gets uh, an excuse. Maybe there's a debut or a return or something like that. Maybe like Miro, for example, considering Brian beat him. Maybe there's something that happens in that vein that gives him an excuse for losing. But one way or another, ultimately, I just, I do not see how you can have uh, Paige drop the title this quickly. It wouldn't really make a lot of sense. So that was AEW this week. As you can tell, I did definitely have some issues, unlike prior weeks where I thought it had been strong, pretty strong recently. So let's move over to NXT. I'm going to start by talking about things that happened on TV that had nothing to do with New Year's Evil, and then we're going to get to our New Year's Evil preview. Uh, We had Harlan against Andre Chase. The scheduled match for Harlan was Brian Kendrick, but I presume there was some COVID-19 issue there. Chase said he had a teachable moment. Joe Gacy explained Harlan was actually expelled from school. Then Gacy made the match. Harlan dominated. He slammed Chase's head into the mat repeatedly, and he won by referee stoppage. A student then checked on Chase, but Harlan grabbed him, flung him over his shoulder, and left. Later in the show, Harlan was shown on top of the performance center with the dude still on his shoulders all the way at the roof. Uh, Gacy eventually convinced them to let the guy go. It's just really tough to have a take on this. It was all fine. Harland, mostly his look, as I've said, it's just not working for me. We'll see if there's any improvement they can make on this, you know, as we go. Uh, Tiffany Stratton fought Fallon Henley. Uh, Stratton definitely had a bit of like a clueless type of gimmick looks wise. This was her TV debut. She showed off really good strength and athleticism, but she came up short on like a flipping handstand elbow in the corner. That was a botch. She ended up winning with a flatliner. It was a decent package overall, but Stratton is still super green and really, really needs to improve her ring awareness before they do anything else. The gimmick will get altered as time goes on, I I have to assume. I would say there's potential here, but while she showed strength and athleticism, she didn't really show much charisma, and that's going to be exceptionally important to get this over. Tony D'Angelo warned Pete Dunne in a promo that the crowbar beating from last week was just the start uh, if he's going to keep trying to go after him. Standard stuff. It's been a good feud so far, but this didn't do much. Uh, the Creed Brothers, Grizzled Young Veterans, Brooks and Jensen, and Jack of Time all cut short promos as part of a larger video package ahead of what's eventually going to be a fatal four-way for the number one contendership. They announced that match, but they didn't announce a date for it. I presume Jack of Time will prevail whenever that happens, assuming the heels are still champions at the time, the heels in Imperium. But man, GYV badly needs to get pushed. We talk about it every week. Uh, Zion Quinn in a taped promo said he knew Electra Lopez wanted it as much as he did, and she had to make a choice between him and Legado del Fantasma. Backstage, Legado questioned Lopez. Then Solo Sokoa walked out of a room, which was somehow offensive to Santos Escobar. Sokoa said it was just misplaced anger, and he was completely right in kayfabe. It just didn't make any sense. So we had Escobar versus Sokoa. There was some good work in the match. Legato distracted so Escobar could take advantage. Zion walked out and got blindsided by Escobar. When he came back in the ring, Sokoa nailed him with a super kick and hit an Uso splash for the win. The fans loved it. They love Sokoa. I know the Escobar-Zion feud is the key here. It just feels like Escobar is being completely underutilized. The guy should be in the world title picture or on the main roster at this point. Not working with like the super green dude where 
I have to believe the end of the feud is him losing. I think he beat him already. So like, why are you doing it again unless you're going to have him lose? And if you do, I mean, what does that really say about how they see Santos Escobar? Also, it seems like the whole thing is just moving in place. It's been the same thing every week. The story needs to actually advance. Boa attacked Sokoa backstage after the match. He was wearing the face paint. The cameraman fell down when he got back up. Boa's face paint was gone. So the idea is that he came in and out of that character that has assumed him. I do like that they're giving him a chance um, and they're trying to make the gimmick work. It just feels like it's unlikely it's ultimately going to work. It would really be a shame if Boa ended Sokoa's undefeated start to his NXT career because he's it's been going pretty well for Sokoa with the exception of the haircut. Uh, Idris Anofe was being interviewed when Von Wagner came in angry, saying Anofe got lucky last week. Malik Blade showed up out of nowhere. Wagner pushed him, and they already had a match scheduled. So we had Wagner versus Blade. I thought this was going to be a squash, but Blade actually got some offense, including a springboard crossbody. Wagner caught Blade for a flatliner, and Blade countered a powerbomb for a near fall. Wagner hit an Olympic slam and a double under twisting slam for the win. It was a pretty weak match. Anofe saved a post-match attack, and Robert Stone was there watching. He did not look pleased uh, from what was happening backstage. I I say the same thing every time. I look at Von Wagner. I see him wrestle. I hear him cut promos. Nothing about it tells me he has it. So at this point, I am sticking with the fact that he does not have it. So with that, let's get to the NXT New Year's Evil preview. As of right now, it is technically a four-match card with one other thing booked for the show. And we'll talk about that first. AJ Styles is going to show up at New Year's Evil to confront Grayson Waller. That's how it's being laid out there. So Waller opened NXT. He was recapping the Styles feud. He actually got a lot of heat from the crowd. He was talking trash about Dexter Loomis. They were scheduled to fight on the show. But Odyssey Jones came out instead, called him a bitch. So they had a match. Commentary pointed out that Jones was a fill-in. And it was nice that they actually acknowledged that which is something the main roster would never do. So we got Waller versus Jones. Odyssey grabbed Waller off the ropes for a huge powerbomb and a near fall. Waller then tripped him into an exposed turnbuckle, hit a rolling cutter, and shot the half for the one, two, three. It was a really good sell by Jones on the cutter. I will give him credit. Uh, Look, Waller just gets better with every appearance. He does. Definite breakout potential from this guy in 2022. After the match, Styles cut a video promo basically declaring he would be at New Year's Evil. Waller then ranted in a backstage promo that it was put up or shut up. It's being booked as a confrontation, not a match. I don't understand necessarily why you would not just book a match because it's professional wrestling. And if two guys hate each other and want to square off with each other, then they should fight, right? So why would Styles be bothered to come back to NXT if it's not to fight Waller? So maybe they'll announce the match on the show and they're using Styles as a reason to get people there. But you also could have just announced the match and that would have worked also. So I don't know what's going to happen here. Um, If they fight, if they do fight and it's a match, I will predict AJ Styles wins. I cannot see a world in which they put Waller over Styles, even via happenstance, like a roll up. I just, I I don't see it happening. So I will pick Styles to win here. Um, But it's going to be pretty interesting uh, to see what they do with this. So we also have a six man tag team match, which I'll talk about in a second. MSK showed up live uh, on NXT for the first time since Halloween Havoc. They were wearing RK Bro gear and got a couple MSK chants from the crowd, which was really cool for a change. They made some weed references. Riddle showed up on screen. He apologized for not being there. He was supposed to be. And he said he would serve as their higher power. And whoa, I'm really high. 
Riddle suggested they challenge Imperium for the NXT Tag Team titles. So MSK did that. Imperium cut a promo. Then suddenly Walter shows up on screen and says that MSK is what's wrong with NXT. He said they deserve a beating, not a title match. Then Riddle shows up on screen, split screen with Walter, almost like he called into a Zoom. And he issued a six-man challenge. Walter accepted and promised to expose all of them. And I think he called Riddle something like a barefoot dork or nerd or something like that. But excuse me, holy shit, what a piece of booking right here. Like, it's not some grand storyline, but we're about to get Walter and Riddle in the same ring for the first time in years. And I've seen a match of theirs that they've had before. They beat the ever-living shit out of each other. We know MSK is entertaining. Imperium just put on a crazy good, uh, you know, tag team match recently. I'm forgetting if it was against Imperium or maybe it was against Legado del Fantasma. I don't remember. Maybe I, I totally forget the situation. Maybe it was even both. Um, but man, all six of these guys can absolutely bang in the ring. So this is such a pleasant surprise. Total chance, even though it's a six man, to steal the show and be match of the night. And you got to give credit where it's due. That was a good one, yeah. Good piece of booking here to get this match on a big Tuesday night uh, NXT show. Maybe they actually pop a rating for the show. You already have Styles, Riddle, and Walter here. Really good stuff. Uh, We also had, uh, we're going to have a unification match for the Cruiserweight and North American Championships between Roderick Strong and Carmelo Hayes. So there was a contract signing for this on NXT. Malcolm Bivens and Trick Williams, they talked some shit to each other. Bivens translated Trick's promo for Roddy and then translated... Roddy's words for trick. Wade Barrett had no idea what anyone was saying or what they were talking about. It was absolutely amazing. Uh, Then the champions cut promos that were just not as good by comparison. Strong promised Carmelo would get carried out and be known as Humble Hayes going forward. When it ended, Bivens talked more shit to trick, drawing him into the ring so the Creed brothers could do a double spine buster into the table. This was just straight up a great segment. One of the best of the 2.0 era. Malcolm Bivens was once again the MVP by a mile. Trick was very good as well. Credit to him, but but Bivens was the MVP. He is main roster caliber on the mic. He could easily come up and manage a main eventer. If not a main eventer, you want to give him someone like Omas, who really can't speak, you give it to him, and he could get whoever it is completely freaking over. This should be one of the top matches on the card. It has potential to steal the show. There's three matches that can do it. Um, I mean, Waller and Styles, if that actually happens, I guess could be one as well. But the six man has a great potential for it. This one has a great potential for it. And certainly the main event does as well. Before we get to the main event, let's talk about the NXT Women's Championship, which is going to be Mandy Rose against Raquel Gonzalez and Cora Jade in a triple threat match. On NXT, Gonzalez and Jade fought Io Shirai and Kaylee Ray. And you're like, well, that wasn't the booking. Of course it wasn't. Uh, Again, my presumption Possible COVID-19 issues once again. Backstage, the faces said they were on the same page. Io Shirai and Kaylee Ray entered. They said they want to be the next number one contenders after the result of this match at New Year's Evil. Mandy appeared on screen, suggested that Io and KLR team up and take the place of Toxic Attraction in the scheduled match with the winners fighting her at New Year's Evil. Again, this just appeared to be a replacement situation. KLR did an Escalera splash. Shirai did a springboard moonsault, both on Gonzalez outside. Shirai hit a 619 and a missile dropkick on Jade for a near fall. Gonzalez hit a followaway slam and a twisting Vader bomb on KLR, plus the Chingona bomb. Jade then tagged herself in, which pissed Raquel off. 
So Gonzalez caught Shirai flying, threw her outside. As Jade went to cover KLR, Raquel broke the fall of her own partner. Then KLR nearly rolled Cora up, but Raquel pushed them over. So her partner, that she just stopped the fall of a moment ago, could get the one, two, three and send both of them into the championship match. Mandy appeared again. She said she outsmarted both the faces, made it a triple threat match on purpose because she know she knew she could get them at each other's throats. So most of the match was enjoyable. The work was really good. Obviously with Io Shirai and KLR in a match, it's going to bang at least to some degree. But the finish was absolutely moronic. Why would Gonzalez break a fall that could result in her getting a title match only to then help her partner get the same fall 15 seconds later? And even though it was with help, you have Cora Jade pinning another top tier talent in Kaylee Ray. That just hurt me. They are pushing her far too strong, even if some of the wins are via happenstance. Why not just let Gonzalez, who hit the finisher, get the win over Kaylee Ray? She's already established the loss wouldn't be embarrassing. Instead, Kaylee Ray should probably be pretty embarrassed losing to Cora Jade. So as far as this match goes, and I'm just realizing now, as I'd say this, that I did not make predictions for the other matches. So I will go back and do that after I recap everything that happened on NXT. That's my fault. Uh, so, you know, in this match, I, my assumption is going to be that Mandy Rose retains. So maybe they're trying to set up Cora Jade and KLR as a feud afterward. I don't know. We'll get to that in a moment. The final match here, NXT Championship on the line, Tommaso Ciampa against Braun Breaker. Outside of a great video package, there was no additional buildup on the go-home show. NXT has always done this with, with their main events, where on the go-home, they basically don't talk about them. Or they, even if they show a video package, the, the competitors are not there. It does not make sense to me why you don't have the main wrestlers in your main event on the go-home show to sell tuning in next week. Maybe this time it was for COVID-19 precautions, but even that doesn't really make sense because you had other people who are going to be on the pay-per-view card in attendance. So this is a trend with NXT. It's not an anomaly. So for that reason, I just, I still don't fully understand it. So let me backtrack here and give you predictions for the matches, which I did forget to do. That's completely my fault. Styles Waller, if they have a match again, I do predict Styles will win. I, I don't know whether they will have a match. MSK and Riddle against Imperium. What m- makes the most sense here, because MSK is just coming back, clearly the goal is for them to have another title match with Imperium. It would be for the faces to win. Obviously, Walter's not going to get pinned. So let's take a guess that MSK pins Marcel Bartel after hitting their finisher. That's what I'm going to go with. Um, again, I really think this match is going to deliver in a major way. This may be the surprise match of the night, if that makes sense. Uh, but I do think the faces win here. The title unification between Roderick Strong and Carmelo Hayes. This is a really tough one because it definitely could go either way. On one hand, you have Roderick Strong who has all of Diamond Mind behind him. He's the veteran. He is has to this point done a pretty good job with the Cruiserweight Championship, even though it hasn't been defended that frequently. On the other hand, you have Carmelo, who's basically a rookie. He just won his first championship. He has the more important championship. And generally, at least if I was booking, the idea of taking a smaller title, Strong's Cruiserweight title, and merging it into the bigger title with the person who holds the bigger title winning, that to me makes more sense. But even though they're really trying to push these rookies, NXT to this point has shown that it understands that you can't have the rookies win everything. And when you're talking about 
carrying a championship right now, I don't really know that Carmelo Hayes needs to do it. It was nice that he won the title and, you know, he has been having it for a little bit and he got to do the the feud and storyline with Gargano and Dexter Loomis. But man, Diamond Mine is a much stronger group team faction, whatever you want to call it right now. And I think with having Bivens and having all the backing, there's a lot of very simple ways where you can ensure that Diamond Mind and Roderick Strong wins this match. There's interference reasons. Trick could screw something up for Melo. They could split. I think there's more ways where if I had to bet on this, it makes more sense to bet on Strong, pick Strong, than it does Hayes. But I, I think if Hayes was to beat Strong, I don't necessarily think that would be a bad booking. That would be something that would be understandable. He has a lot of talent. Um, and they would clearly want to push him forward. So that would make sense. For the NXT Women's uh, Championship match, I have to believe Mandy Rose comes out on top, retaining the title. Cora Jade makes no sense winning the title. It would be absolutely eye-rolling if they did that. Raquel Gonzalez just dropped the title, so why would you have her win it back? Unless maybe they're going to take Mandy Rose and Toxic Attraction after a very short period of time and move them up back up to the main roster with Tony Storm, Uh, requesting and receiving her release from WWE, which by the way, we will talk about either on Saturday's day one show, instant analysis, or maybe on Tuesday's WWE show is probably the better spot for it. Uh, But with there being now a spot open on SmackDown, it could make sense to bring Toxic Attraction up to the main roster. Yes, JC, Jane, and um, Gigi Dolan are slightly more green, but Gigi is an independent wrestler who's been doing this for a while. Mandy certainly is very capable of coming to the main roster. I think they could make it work if they brought them up to SmackDown. So unless they're going to do that, and if they do, then they better put the title on Raquel Gonzalez. I'm going to assume Mandy Rose retains the title here. And then the NXT Championship match, Tommaso Ciampa against Braun Breaker. We've had this conversation numerous times here, so I'm not going to repeat myself too much. Um, They made a really good decision, of course, having Ciampa win the first match. In war games, allowing Braun Breaker to pin Tommaso Ciampa, to me, is all they really needed to do to establish him. I really do not think that giving Braun Breaker the NXT championship in this spot makes a shred of sense. Again, unless it's a scenario where Tommaso Ciampa is being called up, you want to establish Braun as this dominant guy, then okay, I can I can kind of get there. But if Champa is staying in NXT, which I have to assume he is staying in NXT, then you have to have him retain the title here. Because again, the whole point of NXT back in the day before it became this, this independent, you know, utopia, independent wrestling utopia, you can call it, that Triple H turned it into. The real point of NXT is to develop the young people while ensuring that the veterans and the people that are closer to be ready to go to the main roster are the ones that are featured and kind of helping them along. And the best way for Tommaso Ciampa to help young talent along is to be in this spot as the NXT champion and take on all challengers, both from some more veteran people and from some rookies, whether it's, God forbid, a Von Wagner or a Grayson Waller or a Carmelo Hayes, especially if Hayes loses the North American championship, he can talk about going up for the NXT championship. So, you know, uh, Tony D'Angelo, all these guys, there's so many different people that Champa can work with as champion, where if he's not champion, you're really kind of forcing and manufacturing some of these feuds. So if I'm booking the damn territory, I'm booking Tommaso Champa to win, and I'm doing it with 100% confidence. 
If I'm picking the match, which is what I'm doing here, I'm also picking Tommaso Ciampa to win. But the confidence isn't really high, I gotta say. It's maybe 65%. That even may be a little bit too high. But I do ultimately think it makes the most sense for Ciampa to win. The question is, the way he, everything it took for him to beat Braun Breaker the first time, what's he gonna need to do to beat him this time? And it would be probably more, you would have to assume, right? Because it, it took the uh, either the DDT or something, whatever he did outside the ring. Then he hit like a bunch of knees, a fairytale ending, maybe more knees and another fairytale ending. Like I forget how that match finished, but it took a lot to keep Braun Breaker down. So if he's going to beat him again, it's going to have to be a lot again. My concern would be, even if he does beat him, Braun just kind of two weeks later saying, all right, I'm still the number one contender, which is what happened this time. So my hope again is that that War Games win for Breaker and the rookies, that was like his moment in the sun. And now they kind of realize, let's stick with Champa, let's end this feud, let's put him onto something else. And then, hey, four months from now, six months from now, if Breaker gets the number one contendership again and he gets back into the spot and he beats Champa or he beats another champion and wins the title, I'll probably be perfectly fine with it. But right now for me, he has it is still far too much, far too soon if you're gonna book Breaker to win the championship. So I do pick Tommaso Ciampa. I think the show, New Year's Evil, is gonna be really good. Let's just hope the booking doesn't turn me off. That's really the best thing I can say. So that's it, folks. That's us breaking down AEW and NXT in the final episode of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast for 2021. We're gonna kick off 2022 with a bang, just like WWE will, with the day one pay-per-view. We will have your instant analysis as soon as that show goes off the air. Then next week, we will be back with our regular WWE episode on Tuesday and our AEW NXT episode on Thursday. So thank you for spending 2021 with the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. A reminder that we here at this show, we're all about the five here. So please leave those five-star ratings and reviews for us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I hope you all have a wonderful New Year's Eve and a fantastic New Year's Day for the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast universe. This is the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, signing off for the final time in 2021, leaving you with just three more words. Bye for now.